Welcome to this episode of Dove Weekly Podcast. My name is Jeremy Pale, the host of this wonderful podcast that you can't wait till to hear every week. That you are just sitting on the edge of your seat with excitement every week, wondering when it's going to drop. If we can get some new subscribers, would be great. If we could get some reviews that are positive, that would be great. If we could get a five-star rating, that would be great. If not, that's fine. I get it. Moving on. We have been covering, or we're going to try to cover, Israel Keys. I know that, and that's the thing about doing podcasts. There's five million podcasts out there. Everybody is the best Everybody's going to make it big in po- the podcast world. Everybody and their mom has covered Israel Keys. Everybody tries to find a niche, a, a, a little something that sets them apart. I, I personally have not found that. So I have just decided that I'm just going to be myself. And if you like it, that's amazing. If you don't, uh, that's amazing as well because I don't, I don't care. Um, there's enough people in this world that if I could just find maybe... I don't know, 100,000 of them that actually liked me. And there's 100,000 out there. We just got to find them. But Israel Keys has been covered. Every story's been covered. Uh, I've got some local stuff that I would love to cover because there has been no investigation into some missing persons in the area. Maybe w- interview some some witnesses that, that knew the person. But uh, I would like to further dive into missing person, the Jonathan Ellis in Johnson City, Tennessee, missing persons case. And maybe that's something I can work on a little bit more. I know it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to get out there and and to dig in to, to investigate things. And I really feel it upon my heart that I'd like to and I really want to. So maybe maybe that'll happen soon. But we're going to talk about Israel Keys, and it's going to, and and we're going to do a few episodes on it because I'd like to keep it around an hour. And Israel Keys, the case, even though there is hardly no victims, as far as I mean, obviously three victims is enough, four victims, whatever it may have been, or maybe three is all that he had that they were actually really one hundred percent able to. Uh, to verify, and that's that's his own words. Um, if he didn't have the, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. I've got to back on up. Mm-mm. But anyway, it's been covered a million times. It's been covered a million different ways. This is one where you've got the perpetrator, but you don't have the victims. And finding the victims uh, apparently is just as hard as finding the perpetrator because this man traveled extensively and we will get into that too. I don't want to get ahead of myself. As we ended last episode with, you know, the FBI, uh, Anchorage, Alaska, uh, police department, state, whatever, was, they really thought that it was some of Samantha's family that were involved. But anyway, we ended the last week's episode, March the 7th, um, off the I-10 corridor, the ATM card was used. A withdrawal was in Wilcox, Arizona. Now, FBI agent uh, Payne was electrified when he got the call. It had been six days 
since there had been any ATM activity at all. So, you know, the FBI and, and the, the team investigating her disappearance were 4,000 miles away. So, but virtually, they were right on his tail. And I don't know if he was used to that or not, because they say behavior repeats itself or a certain patterns. And so is this a pattern they need to be looking for that in the past he had taken ATM cards and used them and had never had any really pushback because it was months or never investigated at all. The local law enforcement never looked into the ATM withdrawals, maybe. Who knows? But obviously he was comfortable enough to continue to use this debit card. Now, $5,000 was originally put in, and he had withdrawn certain amount. I think there was $3,200 left. Now, that's, that's a lot of money, but in the eyes of a serial killer, Israel Keys, he's already kidnapped. He's already... Let's, we'll get into that. So Payne gets on the the phone. He's trying to get a hold of the FBI field office, obviously in Phoenix. Um, now, luckily, in this instance, one of the FBI agents that were in the Phoenix office knew this particular bank's owner. Now, within an hour, they were all on site, pulling surveillance video, canvassing a scene for hair, fibers, fingerprints, tire tracks, things like that. So this is where... The hunt is on. Now, this bank also was a smaller bank. The name of it was the Western. And Payne knew that it was too small to have the centralized database for, you know, pulling the video and financials right then. That it would take a day or two for the, the surveillance video to be overnighted to Payne in Anchorage. Uh, then, you know, another day to get it to Quantico. And Israel knew this. Samantha's kidnapper knew this because he was smarter than they'd originally thought. Now, the local FBI agent took the pictures of the footage from the Wilcox ATM and he emailed the still shots to Payne. Now, not, not a great picture, but it was enough to make out, you know, of the figure. Uh, Payne thought that the guy in the uh, picture they'd caught on camera uh, there at the bank looked very similar to the same image in, in Anchorage. So he felt like they were on the right path. He was tall, about six feet, wearing bulky clothes to disguise his frame. And, of course, he had on a hood, sunglasses, and what looked like a, some kind of face mask, uh, jeans and white tennis shoes. Now, just about an hour later, her card, Samantha's card, had pinged again. Now, the FBI agents, especially Payne, he was really getting excited. He lived for moments like this. They alerted the team and rushed to the field office. Now, that second alert came from Lordsburg, New Mexico, and that's about an hour's drive from Wilcox. Their suspect seemed to be was heading east on I-10, and again, he had made the mistake of trying to withdraw more than the daily limit. Again, it was at a western bank. Now, Payne thought that this might be a Long-time Alaskan thrown off by the complication in regional time difference. Mountain time, which is an hour behind Central Time, Alaska time, an hour behind Pacific Standard Time. So it was now 2.34 a.m. in New Mexico, and it is 11.24 p.m. in Anchorage. And Samantha's card was working on Alaska time. 
So Payne and Bell, two investigators, they had looked at a map and we were trying to get an idea of kind of where he was headed. And they were trying to predict that whoever had the card would probably stay eastbound on I-10. To them, it just made the most sense. So they didn't have a maker model on the vehicle. Uh, they could tell that he wasn't, they didn't see the white Chevy truck anywhere. Uh, so that in their mind, he was probably in a rental. So Payne puts out a bolo, be on the lookout to law enforcement in L.A., San Diego, Phoenix, Albuquerque, and El Paso. So at 2.35 a.m., at the same time, at the same ATM, the card pinged again. This was a balance inquiry showing that $3,598.91 was left in the account. Another minute or so went by, and another $80 came out, the suspect pulling close to the daily $500 amount limit. Now, the investigators knew um, that the ATM card was going to be the way they caught him. I don't think that the suspect or Israel Keys in this sense was thinking that they were that close to the pings. Real time. They were watching these pings come in at real time, so they were tracking him very, very close. And I think that threw him off because he was not used to law enforcement looking that close into the case because some of these cases uh, probably in the past maybe it was people that it took a, a time to for them to be reported missing but now remember this had been a month it had been a long time but I feel like in the end he was thinking yes they would track it but it would be days or whatever later not in real time so they also were thinking that there's no way to coordinate. The, the FBI could, could rouse a small number of police officers in these tiny towns out of bed, have them patrol the I-10, get everybody coordinated. So it was going to be up to individuals really to step up and for hopefully the officers are doing what's right. And that's really what they're hoping for. Now, by the time that investigators even were trying to to get folks together of course then the suspect could be anywhere and some of these towns had maybe 20 officers total you know wake up the ones that are not on night patrol and, and you know you've got 25 26 officers total and and by the time they're on the interstate the suspect would be long gone probably doing 80 or 100 miles an hour on an empty highway so Payne was thinking, and basically Payne and the team, they sat there in the conference room in Alaska, um, midnight approaching, staring at the wall, waiting to hear about ATM activity way down in the southwest region of the lower 48. Then reality sets in. One had to trust other agents not to screw it up. And then they had to hope that whoever had the ATM card wouldn't stop using it. Even though it seemed that this individual was smart enough to quit while he was ahead. Steve Rayburn first saw FBI agent Payne, Payne's bolo at 6.30 a.m. on Monday, March the 12th. He was having his first cup of coffee at the home, scrolling through some email. Um, he done it every morning, old school. This bolo read, like an old school. 
Kidnap suspect, Cohen, Samantha. Suspect will be unknown male, last seen wearing a light-colored hooded sweatshirt. Suspect vehicle will be newer, light-colored passenger car. Based on ATM transactions, it's believed that the suspect is traveling east toward El Paso. And they put the three pictures in there. Um, the first was of uh, Samantha. Uh, Samantha, then Samantha smiling, green uh, bandana around her head. Second picture was a small white passenger car. Uh, third picture was a suspect wearing a hooded sweatshirt, blue jeans, and sneakers with the face completely obscured. So they've got the frame. Now, Rayburn had been a Texas Ranger for three years, and before he became a Ranger, he was a Lufkin police officer for eight and a state trooper for ten. So he knew this area, he knew Highway 59, he knew the over 600-mile main artery linking Lufkin and Houston very well. Now, being a local, he's not thinking I-10. He's thinking U.S. Highway 59. He's thinking this roadway would probably come into play. At 10.58 a.m. came an email from Kevin Pullen, Rayburn's immediate supervisor, Pullen wrote that he had been contacted by the FBI for help. There are already three agents on the ground in nearby Humble, Texas, where the ATM card had been used two days before. Now, attached to this email was attempted to locate. The file read, Kidnap suspect from Anchorage, Alaska. Suspect used an ATM card twice, once in Humble, Texas, and again in Shepherd, Texas. Please send this flyer and recent ATM info to all in-car computers Ranger Steve Rayburn in Lufkin will be main ranger assisting the FBI in this matter. And, of course, this was new to, to Rayburn. This first he heard he was leading this. Um, of course, he'd never worked with the FBI and on an interstate kidnapping before, so this was new to him, but he was good at what he'd done. He paid attention to detail, and he wanted the truth. That's what matters. Um, it's a close-up of the suspect's face. The uh, nose and mouth appeared to be covered with a light-colored mask. He had glasses on, but the photos were extremely blurry. Now, Rayburn was like, "Is it, this is it? This is what we're working with? Now, he knew his, his supervisor, Pullen, a long time, having worked directly with him, you know, transferred to the Rangers in 2009. Now, you know, anybody knows anything about the Texas Rangers, to be a Texas Ranger uh, was pride. It was a, very, a sense of pride, and they should be proud. Um, they're about as outlaw as law enforcement agency gets. Now, their motto is one riot, one ranger. Of course, the rangers took out, took out Bonnie and Clyde. Um, and Rayburn was, um, was, like I said, old school. He tried to be that old cowboy tough guy, um, to fit that image. It was just, he just wanted to be that kind of ranger. So, you know, with these bulletins flooding multiple law enforcement agencies throughout Texas, he thought that it would be best to maybe do another. And let's have that Ranger badge on the, on the heading. And, and, of course, he knew that every police officer and state trooper knew what it meant when the Rangers affixed their logo to a bulletin. Top priority. Now, first step... He, Rayburn, called the FBI field office that was in uh, uh, Conroe. 
and uh, learned that the officer in Humble reported seeing a white Ford Focus at an ATM around the time of that withdrawal at 2.23 in the morning. Now, there were two surveillance photos of the vehicle, poor quality, but once again, Chris Iber at Quantico had been able to determine the make and model. It is a white Ford Focus. But, unfortunately, white Ford Focus uh, or Focuses in America were the most commonly rented vehicle. So, oh, and first is a white Chevy pickup. So there's no consequence or no uh, coincidence that those are the types of vehicle he drives. Um, he was just he he knew how to blend in. So Rayburn sits down. He wants to write out a more detailed bulletin with a photo of a white Ford Focus attached because that's something new. So on February the first, two thousand twelve, at approximately two a.m. Mountain Standard Time, the victim was kidnapped in the state of Alaska at her place of employment. Her family and boyfriend have since been cleared as suspects. On March the 7th, 2012, debit card in the name of the victim's boyfriend, Dwayne Torlani, was used at an ATM in Wilcox, Arizona at approximately 10.15 a.m. The card was again used in Lordsburg, New Mexico at approximately 11.30 a.m. The card was last in Shepherd, Texas. Well, I'm sorry, last used in Shepherd, Texas on March 12, 2012 at approximately 2.47 a.m. Shepherd is located on U.S. 59. Officers are asked to check rest areas, truck stops, and motels. Officers are asked to bolo for the vehicle with an occupant matching suspect or victim description. Suspect should be in possession of Tortellani's stolen ATM card. Now, Rayburn's gut, old Texas Ranger, was feeling that the suspect would head up through Lufkin. Now, what gets... I'll get to that. Which was off of Route 59 or Highway 59. Now, a lot of there's a lot of connection here. A lot of highways connect here, so it's a busy spot. So, and it looks kind of like a... It states that the map... Uh, Looks kind of like a wagon wheel. Um, of course, Lufkin was the nearest city to Humble. It was about an hour and a half north. And uh, in that area, Rayburn knew that that was the only area that had nice hotels. So, now he knew that they, they could reach Lufkin, the suspect could reach Lufkin by heading north on I-45, but that would be longer. And he just doesn't think that he would want to add more time. He'd want to go the quickest road. Route, route, quickest route. Um, now, it's in moments like this that the, these tiny details are what solves cases. He, he looked at it like a, a hunter, like a fisherman. He, you you got to look at where your target will, will, will most likely go. And he also knew that the Ford Focus would not have a Texas license plate. So he knew the suspect was from Alaska and already driven through two other states. But he left that out of the bulletin because that was more of a hunch, not a fact. And he read through the draft, and at 1.18 p.m., he electronically dis disputed the bulletin to law enforcement uh, all through southeast Texas, plus Louisiana and Arkansas. 
So next, he printed out a stack of color copies, walked them over to the state troopers. Now listen. Next, he printed out a thick stack of copies, walked them over to the state troopers at the Lufkin Police Department. Now, technology is a double-edged sword, he thought. You know, a lot of information comes through the in-car computers and over the radio, and even the best of the best suffer from an information overload. He thought just old school paper copy. And, of course, Rayburn always found it makes a, lot, a much more impression. It's right there. It's in your hand. You can see it. And plus, hey, I'm bringing this to you. I'm giving this to you. I'm handing this to you. I'm talking to you, which means this is important. Then he went to the Department of Public Safety, handed a copy of his bulletins to Corporal Brian Henry, Texas Highway Patrolman. Henry had 20 years with Highway Patrol, 22 years with the troopers. He came from a long line of Texas law enforcement. So they have a conversation. They're talking. And he knows he's going to need the help of local law enforcement. So does the FBI in Anchorage. It's going to be a local man that catches this suspect. So he tells him, hey, this is the suspect vehicle we're looking for. It's a late model Ford Focus. No decals or body damage, tinted windows. Don't know if it's owned or rented. But it wasn't a good picture. So he wants to know how he knows it's a Ford Focus. Basically, he said, that's what the FBI tells us. Talk to the field office in Conroe. They had taken... I guess in Alaska. I'm sorry. Chris Iber, who identified the Ford Focus using the windshield analysis, was right. And it was verified through a local Ford dealership that it was a Ford Focus. So they know for a fact they're looking for a Ford Focus. Um, of course, the team in Alaska, they're, they're frustrated. They're freaking out. Um, basically, they're looking for the most common color, common rented vehicle in the United States, and uh, it was going to be a uh, a long, drawn-out process, he felt. He felt his odds were not in his favor. Um, you know, they had, a, they had this guy's age, race, weight. Um, they, they didn't have any of that. Sorry, that's what I was trying to say. They had, there was a man... They knew probably his race if they could see through the mask. So he's covered in head to toe with hoodies trying to throw off his weight. He's in a nondescript vehicle. He's picking small towns, odd hours. He knows that the risk of getting caught is zero. He seemed to have hyper-awareness of the video cameras often parking his vehicle out of frame. What were the chances that they'd ever catch him? Of course, some of the officers were a little more optimistic. You know, they're basically saying, hey, look, this guy made two withdrawals in Texas, one in Humble, one in Shepard. Of course, it's it's a much larger place, to, of course, Texas, than Arizona or New Mexico, but they felt like that the withdrawals were taking place in closer and closer proximity. So they were, some of the investigators were thinking that their suspect might be settling in for a few days, nesting, or so, so they say. But there was nothing they could do. The FBI, Nelson, Payne, were stuck in Alaska, and they were at the mercy of the Texas Rangers. 
Jolene Golden felt the same way. Like Nelson in pain, she toggled between despair and excitement. But as the ATM withdrawals began escalating, she allowed herself to think that it was only just a matter of time. Of course, now Jeff Bell wasn't so he wasn't even he wasn't even for sure about the whole thing because it was just one of thousands of be on the lookouts going out in the in America every day, and the bolo I mean they couldn't even say for sure where the suspect was going or why, and of course Bell knew that most who would read it would think to themselves that okay there's not even a chance I'm not going to try, and of course Payne and all the other investigators agreed. You know, at this stage, they, they all thought, and, and they were relying on luck. Or they were relying on other officers' hard work, tenacity, truth-seeking behavior. Well, you get a person that does the right thing. And they had to count on people to be decent. You know, he had had a, one of the most disheartening exchanges of his entire investigation it's just an, another withdrawal in Texas, agreed on hours of March 12th. He called the local bank manager in Humble and asked her to go down and look at the security footage. No, she said. Payne was flabbergasted. He begged her, please, please. Of course, other bank managers across the Southwest had responded immediately, jumping up out of bed, going themselves in the middle of the night. A young girl's life was in danger, Payne told her. Sorry, she replied. Sorry, sorry, but I'm not. I'm not going to go down to the bank, and, and she wasn't going to send anyone else. She said, "Look, you're just going to have to wait until the bank opens at 9 a.m." But with this instance, it turned out that the video was was worth nothing anyway. Uh, but it just left pain, discouraged, and I could see why. The woman didn't give a shit. So, end of that day, no new leads, no new ATM withdrawals. Of course, everybody begins to worry that the suspect just might vanish forever in the lower 48. But for the investigators in Texas, this is just day two for them. And for Rayburn, his anxiety had just given away to cautious optimism because when he got to the office, and begin working on another bolo, even though he didn't have any new information. Pushing another one would remind everyone to remain on guard, remain vigilant, have your eyes open, be looking, do your job. He was struggling with putting it together, finding the right wording. He gets a phone call. Now, on the other end of the phone call is Deb Ganaway. She was an agent out of Lufkin, but had spent most of her 33 years with the Bureau in Houston. Kevin Pullen had given her a call, and that is Rayburn's immediate supervisor. Asking if she about the missing girl from Alaska, the debit card. Suspect seemed to be moving up from Houston toward Gunaway's area, uh, possibly. Could she, you know, sit down and maybe have a talk with him about the case? Um, of course, Rayburn didn't know much. Gunaway knew about as much as Rayburn, but they talked procedure. So, they were kind of, Gunaway was kind of marveled at the Bureau's ability to identify the most commonplace vehicles in the country through subtle, subtle, you know, design quirks, but 
Rayburn's boasted of Henry taking the photos over to the Ford dealership, holding them up side by side to an actual Ford Focus. And like we said earlier, for a Ranger, a Texas Ranger, no job is too small. It's the small details. It's the minor, minute, small things that the hard work, tenacity, digging in, doing your job, doing what's right. Nothing too small. No questions stupid. Ask, ask anything. Turn over every rock. Do whatever you can. And that was done in this case. That was done at this case. Now, Rayburn gets another phone call. By this time, it's nearly 11 o'clock. And Henry was on the line. He'd been driving around local hotel parking lots, doing his job tenaciously. And he'd just come up on a white Ford Focus. The car was parked in front of the Quality Inn on South 1st Street. And what do you know? That was right off US 59. Henry was about to go to lunch. He's going to stick it out. And he's going to stay there until Rayburn got there. Of course, Gunaway, FBI agent from Houston, grabbed her jacket and was gone. So that hard, tenacious work might have paid off. Driving through hotel parking lots, someone had spotted a white Ford Focus. And that Ford Focus was fresh on their mind because somebody was smart enough, kind enough, decent enough to go above and beyond at their job to make that extra bolo, to, to do another one the next day to make, them, make it fresh on their mind. So they get there, and sure enough, there's a Ford Focus parked in front of room 115. Hey, this might be it. Now, Rayburn had reached out to some patrol officers that he knew, some friends on the force. Um, basically saying, I want to put eyes on this car. So get someone maybe in some kind of undercover capacity not to, to stand out, not to tip the suspect off. Um, so they're in the parking lot watching room 115 and of course 215 double stack in one of these rooms they want to question and eliminate this gentleman or they want to arrest him because well, it's like finding a needle in a haystack at this point could this really be who they're looking for could this really be the white focus that they're looking for I mean the odds of that the car had Texas license plate. Rayburn ran him through the system. Now, in the back of the car, of course, the undercover comes over, looks through. There's little girls' clothes in the back seat. Um, and a car seat, and that was it. That was it. Had the uh, rental tag in the window. So I knew it was a rental. Uh, of course, they go into the hotel lobby, ask for the manager, guest list, nothing connected to Ford Focus to anyone registered at the hotel. Now, the Quality Inn and the neighboring Holiday Inn and the Cover Suites, there's hundreds of room. Anyone could have parked anywhere, walked anywhere. Then the call comes. I've just seen a guy on the upper floor looking down at this car. I've got eyes on him, Henry had said to Rayburn. It was 11.30. A white male exited room 215. 
putting items in and out of the, or putting, I'm sorry, putting items into the Ford Focus, basically proving that at 215, there's a gentleman driving this white Ford Focus. And he's getting ready to go. So basically, the troopers at that point get set up on US 59. And basically, once that car leaves, they uh, Henry, told by Rayburn, to find a reason to pull him over. Do not let that car out of your sight. So it pulls out, drives up to US 59, center median. You know how they do. You driving on the highway, you see them sitting in the center median. Sometimes you see them sitting there, and in this instance, but many cars drove by seeing that cop sitting there, oh, hitting her brakes. Well, thinking that cop's sit, sit, thinking he's sitting there, the officer sitting there radar for speed. They hit their brakes. How many cars went by that officer that day, not knowing that here in just moments, he was getting ready to take down one of the most prolific serial killers in American history, or was he? So he's in the median. Got him an unobstructed view of the hotel's entrance and exit. He's sitting there. He's waiting. He's ready. Henry sees the white Ford Focus slowly make a left on US 59 and head north. He gets in behind him. Keeps two cars behind him and the Ford. Now the driver was doing nothing wrong. Minute after minute after minute after minute. Now, once they get through a residential part of US 59, there would be no traffic lights to stop the driver, and there was a higher speed limit looming. Of course, Rayburn at this time is wanting to know what's going on. You know, he's like, find a reason, find a reason, pull him over. Now they're stopped at a lot, seven minutes out from the quality inn. Now, Henry's lasered in on his in-car radar screen. Now, when the light turned green, focus takes off. He accelerated to 57 miles per hour. Two miles over the speed limit. And they said you could go five over. <laughs> we don't know that's bullshit. Henry switched on his emergency lights and watched. <laughs> and watched as the driver calmly pulled over and stopped in the parking lot of the Cotton Patch Cafe. This will be, is this going to be the last time this individual sees freedom? We know this is about Israel Keys. I'm not trying to leave it, you in suspense on wondering who it is, what they've done. But they've got this white Ford Focus pulled over off of Highway 59 in Texas at the Cotton Patch Cafe, needle in a haystack. An officer doing his job, an officer paying attention to the details. That officer that's driving those hotel parking lots, that driver's a hero. So they've got this white Ford Focus pulled over. Cotton Patch Cafe of Highway 59, Texas. Officer Henry walks over to the vehicle, notices the driver was a white man, mid-30s, and by himself. He wore black wraparound sunglasses. Texas Highway Patrol, Henry told him. Where are you from? 
Alaska, a man said. Henry states that in his 22 years of doing traffic stops, he had never pulled over anyone from Alaska. I need to see your driver's license, sir. And please step out of the vehicle. The man pulled out his wallet, handed his license to Henry, and got out of the car. An Alaskan in Texas. This was an awfully long way from home. Henry looked at the license, then back at the man. Henry said nothing. The man said, I'm in town for my sister's wedding. It's in Wales, 15 minutes from here. Officer Henry looked down at the license again. The name on the license said Israel Keys, born January 7, 1978, living in Anchorage. Henry could see a, a knife tucked in the man's front jean pocket and another in the rear. Place the knives on your trunk, sir. And of course, Henry's getting a little nervous. He looked around for his backup, Officer Haddock, who had followed. Henry waved him over. Then he got in his patrol car to run the license plate. Nothing. No record. No warrants. Not even the speeding ticket. Haddock called Rayburn and FBI agent Gunaway. And in the minutes before their arrival, Henry approached the driver again. So they've got the FBI and Rayburn, Texas Ranger, on the way down. But before that, Henry goes back up. And as he does, what's this about? Israel Keys wants to know. Well, we're looking into a kidnapping from Alaska. Israel says, well, I've been mostly staying in Wales, but I stayed at the Quality Inn last night with my brother. I have two brothers in town for the wedding. They're both from Maine. They thought, Henry thought this was a lot of unsolicited details. And in his training, he told him that the, basically the man was lying. Now, this is going to be, it could be a situation where, this might be a situation where maybe this guy's telling the truth. And maybe these details, they're not a lie. But they're going to take this to the end. They, they owe Samantha and her family that much. Find out for sure if this is the guy. Don't distrust your gut or your instinct. Henry also noticed that Keyes was sweating profusely. And more than unusual for this weather, but I sweat all the time. Don't mean anything. Of course, is he making the evidence fit his... Is everything he's seeing fitting right in with his idea of who the killer is? Or is he just sweating because he's a sweaty guy? Well, anyways, a perfect spring day, 85 degrees, no humidity. And you could see, you could start seeing patches of sweat under the tank top, gray tank top. How long have you been in Texas? Henry asked him. And Keith paused like if he, if he, he was thinking, like, well, what, do I, what do I need to say? What's the right thing? Last Thursday, the same day as the big rain, and that was right. There had been a massive storm, dumping four inches of rain. Hailstones, size of grapefruit, knocking birds out of trees. Crazy storm. 
Did you fly down here or drive? Keith says, the only plane ticket I could get from Anchorage was to Las Vegas. So I flew to Vegas and then drove to Texas. Also, I flew into Vegas so I could take my daughter to see the Grand Canyon. And the story was just getting more and more crazy. Well, where's your daughter now? Henry wanted to know. Keith said, well, she's in town with my brother in Wales. She's 10. Now, by this time, Rayburn and Gunnawave pulled up and relieved to see everyone that's there on the scene. They're still there. Now, he approached Officer Henry, who gave the quick briefing while unhooking his body mic and giving it to Rayburn. Now, he's careful to stand in what they call the area. Sorry, I've got this written down. The arena of performance, which is within view of the patrol car's dashboard camera. Now, Rayburn approached Keys. Now, Rayburn is the Texas Ranger that really got these bolos out two days in a row, kept it fresh in everybody's mind. As he approached, Keys speaks first. Does this have anything to do with the officer who drove through my parking lot last night, he asked. Of course, Rayburn knew nothing about it. He ignored the question. Did you stay at the Quality Inn last night? Uh, Ranger Rayburn asked Keys. And Keys looks over to Gunaway, who was quietly circling the rental car, then back to Rayburn. Yes, with my brother. The room's in his name. I've been in and out of there for the past two days. Now at this point, Rayburn, he looks around Keys and into the driver's door, saw a pair of white sneakers peeking out from under the seat. He knows that the suspect in the ATM video had the white sneakers on. So the evidence is starting to stack up here that they've got their man. When did you rent this car? Well, Keith says a few days ago, the day after I flew into Las Vegas, last Thursday. Now, Keith begins stretching and moving around. To them, it's another giveaway that this guy was lying, wasn't telling the truth, and he might just be ready to run. Gunaway walks over and says, I'm Special Agent Deb Gunaway with the FBI. So how many states have you stopped in? Well, Key states that he says, uh, I drove I-40, Interstate 40, and stopped at the Hoover Dam, but I didn't really stay in any state because I only slept for an hour and a half at night. I drove the rest of the time. Never stopped to get gas? Well, of course, a few times. How did you pay for it? I don't know. Probably cash. This is really intrigued Gunaway now. How'd you pay for the gas? Probably cash, Keith said. He's getting annoyed. And Rayburn stepped in. Listen. It's easy enough to corroborate your story. Can we search your wallet? You guys aren't searching anything, Keith said. Am I under arrest? Boom. There it was. Either they need to find something immediately to arrest him, or he's going to be on his way. At this point, what do they have? They have somebody driving 57 miles an hour in a 55 speed limit zone. And at this point, 4,000 miles away, FBI agent Steve Payne, he's in his car. He's in line at the Sugar Shack coffee kiosk, staring straight ahead. Now it was 8.30 a.m. in Anchorage. The sun was finally rising. He was tired, man. 
been up late. Woke up three times. Caused about more ATM withdrawals. The ATM was used at 2 o'clock, 2.30, and Payne was on the phone with field agents and field teams in Texas until 5 a.m. It was a struggle to get back to sleep. He was running low on fumes. And that low-level nervous energy laced with the guilt. Just Payne wasn't working when he was sleeping. He wanted to get to the bottom of this. Wanted to find this girl. But when he wasn't sleep, when he was sleeping, he wasn't working. What if something happened? But if he wasn't sleeping, he wasn't getting rest. If he wasn't resting, he wouldn't be clear, thinking straight on his game. But he's sitting there patiently waiting to order as usual. Now, the sugar shack was just a couple minutes from the field office there. And as he looks at the barista, he notices there's two girls working. Now, after Samantha's kidnapping, there'll never be a lone girl in any of those kiosks again, serving those rush hour coffees late at night, no one around. His cell phone rang. Payne didn't recognize the number, but he picked it up anyway. On the other end was Special Agent Deb Ganaway. Now, we know Deb's with the Lufkin, Texas field office of the FBI. And this next statement's going to shock Payne, and I don't think he ever thought in a million years he'd get this call. really don't. We pulled a suspect in your case over for speeding. We have his driver's license. He's from Alaska. His name is Israel Keys. Of course, that, main, that name meant nothing to anybody, especially Payne. But Alaska, though, that's a coincidence. That's strange. Well, what's going on? Payne wants to know what's happening. This time he's, he's all to hell, man. They're questioning. They're asking where he's going, why he's here. Um, she tells Payne that he said he rented a car in Vegas to drive down here to his sister's wedding. Well... She goes into some, basically say, from what we can see outside, he's got a pair of white sneakers under the driver's seat. I also see a roll of rubber-banded cash in the passenger door pocket. There's red dye on it. And the passenger seat, there's some maps with highlights on them. And that was a cause to, to pause for pain because the shoes that match the suspect doing all those ATM withdrawals. Generic, yes, but it's a match. And banks preload cash with exploding ink packages in the case of a robbery. And then paper maps instead of GPS. Plus, he's being uncooperative. He's agitated. He keeps asking why all these questions for just a routine traffic stop. What do you want to do? Payne is freaking pumped at this point. Of course, he's got to think quick, though, but carefully. Did they have enough probable cause to search Key's vehicle. The stuff that FBI agent Gunaway was telling him was pretty thin. God, he just doesn't know. Maps, sneakers, God, it's not much. And Gunaway agrees. But you've got the Alaska driver's license and this crazy story. But is there probable cause? And they don't want to blow this for them. They're, they're, they feel like they might be on, on, the, on the brink of, of cracking this wide open. So Gunaway says, you should know that in Texas, we have a probable cause exemption. 
that if you have enough reason to believe a vehicle has been used in the commission of a crime, you can search it. But Payne, his decision right here, it had to be unpeachable. The little that he just learned made Keyes an automatic suspect. But if it was later determined that there wasn't any probable cause, anything that turned up in this search would be thrown out of court. It would be fruit of the poisonous tree. So he thought and thought felt like an eternity. Of course, at this point, is Samantha still alive? And they, they care more about finding someone than losing evidence along the way. And then Keys, can I leave? Or can I at least call my brother? Gunaway turned. Yeah, call your brother. Payne had made his decision. Can't cut this guy loose without searching the car. It doesn't matter to me how you do it. Payne was in tears. In tears. He wanted to stay on the phone and hear what, what, what went on and how it happened and what went down. But he just had to leave it to the, the FBI agent and the rangers and the troopers in Texas. But could this really be the guy? The needle in the haystack. All that tenacity. That, 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 all that effort and hard work that he had put in. And then all these hard working uh, law enforcement down in Texas. We've got someone from Alaska all the way down in Texas. The guy can't account for why he took such an odd route to his sister's wedding. The vehicle matches, the dye packs, the maps, the shoes, the shifty demeanor. This is him. This was the guy. He knew it. He knew it. Ten minutes had passed. Felt like an hour. Here he was. Lead FBI agent on the interstate kidnapping of a teenage girl sitting in a parking lot with his overpriced coffee quickly going cold as the, the crisp and clean air of, uh, of the Alaska illuminating sky was in the background as he stared out in the distance. At this point, he was the only person in Alaska who knew that they might have Samantha's kidnapper. But what if what if they blew it down there? What what if this guy was smarter than them? What if I mean, who in their right mind would drive around with evidence of a, such a crime? I mean, what if he was telling the truth about having a little girl with him? What if there's no choice but to let him go? Twenty minutes later, his cell phone rang. It was Gunaway. We got him. This is the guy. What do you have, Payne wanted to know. Gunaway said, enough. Payne thanked her over and over and over and over. Were they going to bring Samantha home? So now we've got down in Texas on the side of the road. We got a suspect standing right there. People driving by probably thinking, oh, is that a DUI? Oh, look what they've got over there, gawking, rubbernecking. Look at there. Oh, wonder what that guy done. Wonder what he got. Well, look at, oh, because he's surrounded by five officers. Now they're going to search the vehicle. Rayburn, 
Walked back to his pickup, grabbed his camera, gave it off to the sergeant, shoot everything we find. It was 12.26 p.m., almost an hour after Keys had been pulled over. Rayburn and Gunaway began the search. From inside the vehicle, they inventoried the front, in addition to the highlighted maps of California, Arizona, and New Mexico on the front passenger seat, they found. One can of Amp Energy drink open, one set of school photos of a child, one pair of sneakers white, one ATM receipt under driver's side floor mat reading, debit not available, Sony digital camera containing 200 plus photos of a wedding, one new gray shirt with store tags, packaging Winchester brand, amber tinted sunglasses, no packaging, one t-shirt with sleeves, I'm sorry, with one sleeve cut off, one t-shirt with one sleeve cut off, dark gray fleece Columbia jacket, several Walmart bags, roll of cash in denomination of $5 and $10 bills, in the back seat, Walmart receipt stamped Lufkin, Texas, 14 a.m., March 12, 2012. One sandwich, one energy drink, one pair of black sunglasses, one partial gallon of water, laundry detergent, one pink black backpack. In the trunk was one green black backpack, one gray DVD case containing pornographic images of a black female, pornographic DVDs including transgender pornography, Alaska Airlines flight confirmation of Israel Keys and daughter to depart Anchorage on March 6, 2012, arriving Seattle, Washington, 5.54 a.m., departing Seattle, 3.30 p.m., arriving Las Vegas, 5.56 p.m., bottles of alcohol, still chilled in Walmart bag, gray fleece jacket, gray hooded sweatshirt with amber shooting glasses and gray cloth mask in front pocket, gloves in another pocket, one laptop, one black Samsung cell phone, slider type, battery and SIM card removed, toiletry kit, one handgun, one pair of binoculars, one black ski mask, one headlamp. Now, Rayburn wanted Henry, the initial guy that done the stop, to have the honors. This was the guy that was patrolling those hotel parking lots, and this is the guy that found him, hook him up. Now that Keyes had been arrested, Rayburn can now search his wallet. Inside Israel Keyes' wallet was the driver's license belonging to Samantha Koenig. This was the man. This was him. Next episode, I want to talk about finding Samantha and just exactly what they had in the back of their patrol car right now. They will soon find out that they had a serial killer like no other serial killers. This was a man like they'd never seen before. So meticulous, so careful in his planning that the sheer volume of, of things he was capable has been capable of doing over the years is phenomenal. It's crazy. No one knows exactly how many or who or what or how many people 
Israel Keys is murdered. But on the next episode, we're going to find out what exactly happened to Samantha and what deal he makes with the FBI. couple things I wanted to say. Thanks for listening. Um, all of my information on this podcast is from uh, the American Predator book, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century by Maureen Callahan. Uh, it's an amazing book. Um, I've read it several times. Um, it's hard sometimes to do, well, it's hard for me to do these podcasts sometimes. I get my words twisted. I think of a word I want to use, and then I lose it. I forget, I forget what I'm getting ready to say. I don't edit anything, um, so I apologize for that. Sometimes you may hear dogs barking, and uh, I have dogs, sorry. Or I just don't, I don't edit. I just, I don't, I don't have the software, I don't have the, I, I use a cell phone and a walk-in closet. So I just want to record it. I don't want it to sound terrible like I'm sitting in a hole, so I try to have as decent sound quality for what I've got. But I just want to say thanks and apologize for some of the distractions. So I just fumble over my words sometimes. But uh, I wanted to say, make sure I give proper credit to American Predator uh, Maureen Callahan and uh, I look forward to the next episode um, thank you